Ecclesiastes chapter 10. We're going to cover the whole chapter again like we did uh, chapter 9 last time. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. And I've entitled this, Avoiding Spiritual Suicide. Avoiding Spiritual Suicide or Self-Destruction, as Solomon might describe it. One of the great tragedies of our generation, and at least in modern times we could say, is the rate at which suicide is claiming the lives of young people. Now, suicide is, a, is an issue at every age, but the reason I would say young people is we'll find out in just a few verses that this entire book is addressed to who? Young people. Remember your creator, Solomon says at the concluding chapter, in the days of whose youth? Your youth. He's speaking to young people. Suicide has tripled since 1950 with young people at where 4.5 per 100,000 was the rate in 1950. 13.2 for the same number now. 73% of all suicides are committed by males. And the reason for this is speculated to be that they use more lethal methods. One in 12 males succeed in committing suicide, while one in 300 females are, I don't even want to say the word successful in claiming their own lives. And the amount of data uh, printed to deal with and prevent these tragedies is prolific. The internet is full of such counsel. And we should always have our antenna up with anyone who is, has gotten to the point of desperation thinking, I, I don't want to live anymore. But there's another form of suicide that might be as lethal spiritually in that it lasts forever, and that is spiritual suicide. What I mean is producing a state of the heart that moves away from God and dies to the life of God, where the soul is unresponsive to God. And actually, the Bible calls such a state the state of being a fool. A fool. Hanging on our refrigerator for the duration of um, the boys' lives where was a list that we constantly drove them back to look at and consider. And it was a list that had 25 characteristics of a fool. It's really good refrigerator fodder. I'm happy to, to print off a copy if you'd like one. This is just from the book of Proverbs. Now, this, is, this can serve as a little bit of a self-test. These are 25 characteristics that Solomon says are that of a fool. And so let's see how many you might check off, okay? He despises wisdom and instruction in chapter 1, verse 7 of Proverbs, meaning he doesn't take every advantage possible of putting himself in the way of and in the flow of truth. He despises it. He pushes away, hates wisdom, hates instruction. He hates knowledge in one twenty-two. He's not a studier of truth in God's word. He grieves his mother. And when I say he, by the way, that's just a generic for anyone. Grieves his mother in chapter 10, verse 1. Enjoys devising mischief. Chapter 10, verse 23. He's right in his own eyes. 12, 15. Quick to anger. 12, 20, 12 16. He hates to depart from evil he's begun, 12, 16. He's deceitful, 14, 8. Arrogant and careless, 14, 16. 
He rejects his father's instruction, 15.5. He despises his mother, 15.20. He does not respond well to discipline, 17.10. He does not understand wisdom, 17.16. He has a worldly focus, 17.24. He grieves his father, 17.25. Hurts his mother, 17.25. Does not consider discussing any viewpoint but his own, 18.2. He provokes others to strife and angler by the things he says, 18.6. He has a smart mouth that usually gets him into trouble, 18.7. He's quarrelsome and contentious. He loves to argue in 20, verse 3. He's unwise with his money. He's a spendthrift in 21.20. He repeats his folly. He doesn't learn. He does the same things that are foolish over and over and over, 26.11. He trusts in his own wisdom, his own heart, doesn't listen to counsel, 28, 26. He cannot resolve conflicts, 29, 9. And he gives full vent to his anger when given opportunity, 29, 11. That's a small snapshot of what a fool is. And by Solomon's standard, as we'll see in Ecclesiastes 10, he's committing spiritual suicide because a fool pursues being more foolish, which only alienates him from the life of God. These words, fool, foolishness, folly, are all terms that refer back to the lack of wisdom in Proverbs and in Ecclesiastes. And since wisdom has so many different connotations and nuances, there are also numerous expressions of being foolish. A fool can be characterized and recognized by by various characteristics. A lack of intelligence, a lack of experience, sometimes not even being aware of their foolishness. Proverbs 12, Ecclesiastes 5, Luke 12. An inability to be cautious in speech. He speaks first and gets in trouble second. Proverbs 18, 6 and 7. Or he pursues courses of conduct or action that ultimately prove to be harmful even to himself. You can read that story in 2 Samuel 24. There's also another dimension of foolishness that goes with just this lack of common sense and lack of self-control into a more, I think, heinous expression. And that is... It actually pursues sin and stiff arms God's law and God's ways. A fool is one who, either by ignorance or by deliberate, calculated premeditation, follows a lifestyle or commits specific acts that are detrimental for the person living his life. And it's definitely detrimental for the people around him living theirs. Now, why bring all this up? Because chapter 10 is a is an encyclopedic microcosm of foolishness. Solomon understands he's, he's ramping up toward the end of this book in Ecclesiastes. And let me remind you again, Ecclesiastes was intended to be one sermon heard in one sitting. We, we've broken it up over a couple of years now. I would encourage you, sit down and read it cover to cover, verse 1 to the end. If you were to do so, you feel out of chapter 9, into chapter 10, moving through 11 and 12, there's a crescendo happening. He's eating faster pace. That's why we're taking bigger sections. 9 and 10 are one message each. He's grouping things together, repeating things, circling the wagon, making sure that he's repeated the most important lessons, and then he gets into 12 and lands the airplane. So, looking at chapter 10, we're going to look at that very, very fast because it needs to be woven together. We're going to find seven precautions for preventing spiritual suicide. In other words, seven precautions 
for not becoming a fool. Spiritual suicide is when you pursue the life of foolishness and alienate yourself from the life of God. Let's break it down. Verse 1 is our first precaution. Beware of the influence of foolishness. Watch out for it. Beware of the influence of foolishness. Now, if you were looking maybe this week, maybe this month, maybe in this last year, and you thought, I really need a life verse. You know, so many people have life verses. I want a life verse. I've got one for you. Here it is right here. Here's the life verse. Memorize it. Put it on your mirror. Um, I haven't seen very many tattoos with this one on, but here you go. Dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink. So, a little foolishness is heavier or weightier than wisdom and honor. Does anyone claim that as their life verse? Is that on your refrigerator for any good reason? It actually is, is a great verse and ought to be once you understand what it's saying. Now, if you go back to chapter 9, verse 17, up through chapter 10, verse 1, Solomon is giving the example. Remember the story of this poor wise man who did not bring uh, immediate benefit. Uh, Solomon warned that even though wisdom deserves attention, its value can be nullified just by a little folly. A little bit of, of foolishness can ruin a lot of wisdom. Now, that's on this life and in this, or in this life and on this earth. The quiet words of the wise are heated sometimes more than a fool but the results don't always end up the way you would hope tells the story at the end of chapter 9 now he comes and kind of summarizes it here in this interesting proverbial statement dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink now if you go back to the ancient Near East perfumer's oil was Perfume or cologne, how we would, however we would say it. There, can, can, can we just talk about this for a second? There was no deodorant and no antiperspirant. And so the only way you could mitigate the consequences of living in a desert where it's 120 degrees was to apply sweet-smelling olive oil. They would take olive oil, put rosemary in, different herbs that would, that would cover the, the results of being stinky. The problem was, when your nice-smelling stuff smells bad and you put that on a bad-smelling body, you've got double trouble. He said, dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink. Why? No preservatives. If, if insects got in and died in the olive oil, it would spoil it, and then you would put stinky stuff on a stinky body. And so he uses that as an illustration and says, so a little foolishness is heavier, a weighter, weightier than wisdom and honor. What is he saying there? Is he saying that foolishness is stronger than wisdom? No, no, no. He's saying that foolishness can actually stain an entire life's reputation of wisdom. Don't be foolish. I, I just think back honestly. There's, um, there, there, were, there were guys I knew in college who did, they were on my wrestling team, and they just... We were on a, a trip one time, and they, they did some stupid stuff. It was a bunch of st young, stupid guys who did a stupid series of events and made some stupid decisions, and that stained their reputation for the rest of our college careers. Maybe even for the rest of their life, they point back. Look at that moment. 
Listen, if you're in junior high, high school, college, if you, if you were younger, remember that a little foolishness can actually stain your entire reputation, even if you are pursuing wisdom and honor. honor. It's weightier. How many people like to stand by the, the uh, water cooler and talk about your virtues versus your mistakes? That's the point he's making. It's very simple. It's very practical. It doesn't mean it's better than. He's saying it's weightier in terms of being recognized and remembered. I would be very careful who you choose as friends and very careful to know what is influencing your thinking. The influence of wisdom. This flies, these flies, dead flies, these insects ruined what was supposed to be redemptive and sweet. Don't let a stupid series of events, a stupid series of decisions, even a stupid decision, soil your reputation. Number two, beware of the source of foolishness. Where does it come from? Beware of the source of foolishness. This is verses two and three. A man's heart directs him toward the right, but the foolish man's heart directs him toward the left. When the fool walks along the road, his sense is lacking. He's demon, and he demonstrates to everyone that he is a fool. What is he talking about here? He's saying there's a way that you know is the right way to go, but a fool doesn't go that way. This is not hard to understand. Here's the right way to go. The fool says, I'm going to go another way. And, and students, this is... I, I, Parents, I hate to break into youth speaker mode, but this is what is directed. Most of the times your parents are telling you the right side of the road to go on. And it's so easy to want to choose the left, to be contrarian, to be opposite, to be rebellious. Even when the fool walks along the road, his sense is lacking. There is such a world of insight there. He lacks sense. This may be um, uh, breaking things down maybe more simply than... Than, than you can imagine, but you know what most of the Bible is comprised of? Doing common sense things. Doing what makes sense. God gave us sense. He gave us common sense. Look at what it says here. He's, he's lacking sense. And he demonstrates to everyone that he's a fool. If you want to demonstrate to everyone you're a fool, know the right way and go the opposite way. Know, know the right thing to do and do the opposite. Know what not to do and do something contrary. Do it yourself. Foolish man's heart directs him toward the opposite way that's correct, that's right. Foolish behavior. He's being, this is Solomon's word, stupid. Going the opposite direction. Practically then, are you protecting your heart, your thinking, your mission control center of who you are? Are you evaluating the heart of those around you? Do you understand the source of foolishness is wanting to do contrary to God's way? And God's way almost always makes common sense. Number three, beware of the position of foolishness. Beware of the position of foolishness. Verse four, if the ruler's temper rises against you, do not abandon your position because composure allays great offenses. There is an evil, I've seen it in the sun, like an arrow which goes forth from the ruler. Folly is set 
in many exalted places while rich men sit in humble places. I have seen slaves riding on horses and princes walking like slaves on the land. He breaks into his proverbial language, and it's not really hard to understand. He's saying simply, it doesn't always make sense according to the, the rules of the world to walk wise, but it makes sense in God's economy. When you see that word ruler in verse 4, that could, you could kind of transliterate that and compose that into your teacher, your parent, your coach, someone who's giving you a, a direction, someone who's in a, in a position of authority. Don't abandon your position because composure allays great offenses. Don't put yourself out from under the, 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 the proper authority that God's given you. This is basically saying don't be a rebel. Don't be a stiff armor. Don't go against the common sense wisdom that the person in authority is giving you. He goes back to this repeated phrase again. I've seen this error. I've seen it happen under the sun, which is the repetitive cycle of sin that happens this side of the garden and this side of heaven. Then he gives this in verse 7. I've seen slaves riding on horses and princes walking like slaves on the land. You know what he's saying? Don't assume because doing what's right doesn't make sense that it's wrong to do so. Rarely in a broken world does doing what's right make logical sense to a worldly mindset. So the position of foolishness is, get this, getting out of position from underneath the authority that God has put us under. Are we in a position to submit and humbly follow the leadership around us? Or we are, are we the fool who's fighting against, kicking against the goads as happened in the life of Paul. Don't be dragged away from being wise. Don't be dragged away from doing what's right just because of their position or yours. It's interesting how Solomon keeps going back to being underneath rulers or princes or being underneath people. We, we can look at the ways that uh, we, we submit to authority in our own lives. Police, government, teachers, coaches. Know your position. Don't rebel against it. Number four, beware of the consequences of foolishness. Now it gets really specific. Beware of the consequences of foolishness. Verse eight. He who digs a pit may fall into it. And a serpent may bite. Him who breaks through the wall. He who quarries stones may be hurt by them. He who splits logs may be endangered by them. If the axe is dull and he does not sharpen its edge, then he must exert more strength. Wisdom, get this, has the advantage of giving success. If the serpent bites before being charmed, there is no profit for the charmer. Now, just as a little footnote, it's interesting that all the way back in Solomon's 10th century B.C., Solomon's age, people were charming cobras and charming snakes. This is not anything new, but we'll come back to that at the end of the verse. What is he talking about? Digging a pit may fall into it. Serpent will bite the person who breaks through the wall. He who quarries stones may be hurt by them. Uh, you split logs, you can get hurt. This is not difficult to understand. 
if you do things the wrong way, you can get messed up. Dig in a hole, you're not careful, you'll fall in it. Breaking walls, building things, rearranging things. Be careful if you don't see a snake, you can be bitten by one. If you're not hitting a log in the right way, that can mess you up. And I have practical experience in trying to split logs the wrong way. And then he says, I love verse 10. What if the axe is dull and you don't sharpen its edge? Then you have to work harder. This is just common sense. Most of God's word results in, or actually reduces itself to doing common sense things. Then he says, and I don't even know exactly what to do with this. He doesn't say that it's a bad idea to charm snakes. I personally think it would. But he basically says if you, if you do the wrong things too early, you're going to get snake bit. I'm just going to let that illustration hang there for all of us to observe, okay? I don't think he's being exonerating of, you know, you should go out and find a cobra and tame it. The, the issue is simply simple. Think through the implications of both major and minor decisions. Think through the implications of major and minor decisions. The consequences of foolish decisions will get you into a world of trouble. Students, just try this. Say, Mom, Dad, I want to take you out to lunch. Or maybe you can take me out to lunch. Let's go out to lunch. and Give them some warning so they can do this. And say, I would like to hear of two or three decisions that you or Mom ever made growing up that you wish you hadn't made now, and then don't make those decisions? Do you understand the consequences of those decisions? Number five, beware of the words of foolishness. Beware of the words of foolishness. Verse 12, words from the mouth of a wise man are gracious, while the lips of a fool Consume him. It's interesting that the words of the wise have benefits to others and the words of the fool crush him. See the difference? The beginning of his talking is folly and the end of it is wicked madness. That is so graphic. Wicked madness. Yet the fool multiplies words. No man knows what will happen and who can tell him what will come after him? This is so biblically sarcastic and tongue-in-cheek. You know what he's saying? If you want to know if a person's a fool, just see if they keep on talking. Fools talk and talk and talk. And Proverbs tells us where there's abundance of words, sin is unavoidable. That's why I think, just, and this is not picking on the ladies, this is encouraging that God had a specific inclination. He said that uh, the results of a godly woman is she's gentle and quiet. She, she's not known for having words and talking and talking and talking and talking and talking and talking. And it's not just ladies or females who have issues with this. It's anyone who's alive. It's better just to listen. And then when we start dissecting the words of a fool even more and we add some proverbial wisdom, it's not just that they're talking and talking and talking. A fool typically talks and talks and talks about who? Self. 
me, me, my, my, I, I, I. Every time you talk to them, they're giving you a resume of something great about themselves. Try this. If you want to be a wise person, if you want to beware of the words of foolishness, go back to here, to verse 12. The words of the mouth of the wise are gracious. Gracious means, Grace is giving what is undeserved, right? That's grace. Graciousness. In other words, when a wise person speaks, it's rarely about themselves and always lifting up, edifying, encouraging, and being interested in the other person. Boy, if I could pull the car over with our, our young people again, don't be that guy. Don't be that girl. You know who that guy and that girl are? The ones who, once they start talking, you just roll your eyes, if not outwardly, inwardly, and you go, here we go again. It's the bigger, better, best speech. They've done more, bigger, better, best. Don't be that person. How do you not become a foolish person with your tongue? You become a gracious person with your tongue. Let no unwholesome word come from your mouth, but only such a word, Ephesians 4, as is good for edification for the person who you're talking to in the need of that moment. That means you have this awareness that your words have extreme power. Life and death are in the power of the tongue, Solomon says. Beware of the words of foolishness. We've, heard, we've said it before. <clears throat> Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me is a lie from the pit of hell. I've broken a lot of bones, torn a lot of things, and had a lot of injuries growing up. Gotten over most of them. I can still remember things that someone said to me when I was in seventh grade that if I think about it right now, it would be easy to cry. It hurt so bad. It was such a deep wound. Be careful with your mouth. It should be gracious and not foolish. He goes on, number six. Beware of the stupidity, there's no other way to say it, of foolishness. Beware of how stupid it is to to not see the path of a fool. Look at verse 15. The work or the toil of a fool so wearies him that he does not even know how to go to a city. This is so bane and so uh, uh, earthy. He's saying some fools think about their foolishness and nothing else so much they don't even know where to go. They're lost except for pursuing their own foolishness. It's just stupid, he says. The work, the toil, this is what their effort is, is, uh, is leaned upon, leaned into. The toil of a fool so wearies him. That just is amazing. It, being a fool takes hard work. It makes you tired. And so tired, you don't even know what to do, where to go. It blocks your sense of direction spiritually and mentally and even physically. Solomon characterizes a fool's speech as foolish and wicked madness. And now he, he leans on the fact that it, it just messes you up. And you don't think clearly. You don't even go to the city. Practically, you know what that means? Don't be stupid. Don't spend your life putting effort into being foolish. Now, this sounds 
awkward because who would spend toil and work being a fool? That, that's what you'll naturally do by default passively if you're not pursuing, if I'm not pursuing, if we're not pursuing a life of wisdom. Don't be stupid, he says. Which leads to number seven. Beware of the opportunity of foolishness. Beware of the opportunity of foolishness. Verse 16. Woe to you, O land, whose king is a boy, a lad, and whose princes feast in the morning. Blessed are you, O land, whose king is of nobility, whose princes eat at the appropriate time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through indolence, the rafters sag. And lack of slackness, the house leaks. Men prepare a meal for enjoyment, and wine makes life merry, and money is the answer to everything. Furthermore, in your bedchamber, do not curse the king, and in your sleeping rooms, do not curse the rich man. For the bird of the heavens will carry the sound and the winged creature will make the matter known. What is he talking about here? Simple little snippets talking about the opportunity you have to express foolishness, the opportunity laying before you. Go back and, and let's go back and break it down. Verse 16. Woe to you, a land whose king is a boy, a lad, whose princes feast in the morning. In other words, they don't. The feasting is to be the, the, the mid or mid-afternoon meal in the um, ancient Near East. They just get up, and the first thing on their mind is their appetites. No self-discipline. And woe to you whose, lad, whose king is a lad. Now, that would happen sometimes in the ancient Near East because of succession. Uh, the father would die, and the young uh, king would be, young prince would be, be young. Without wisdom. Woe to your land. In other words, maturity and discipline. You see those two? Maturity and discipline are blessings of wisdom and curses to the fool. Blessed are you, though, on the other hand, if you have a king of nobility whose princes eat at the appropriate time. They're not getting up looking after their own uh, uh, needs. They're disciplined for strength and not for drunkenness. They have self-control in those areas. And verse 18 is just talking about taking a fool doesn't take care of the things that are, that are right in front of him. Through indolence, the rafters seek. If you ignore it, they, they sag. And through slackness, the house leaks. If your house has a leak in the roof and you don't fix it, it doesn't fix itself. Isn't that genius? Remember what we said? Most of proverbial wisdom is common sense. But he's also talking about something more than just houses here. It's talking about a life, giving self-discipline and giving wisdom, giving discipline to our own lives. Men prepare a meal for enjoyment. Wine makes life merry, and money is the answer to everything. He's speaking tongue-in-cheek here. Obviously, Solomon wouldn't say money is the answer to everything. He's saying this is how the, the foolish person lives. And then he ends the whole discussion in verse 20 by saying, be careful what you say to who you say it, because things and words get out. Right? Can we all have an honest moment? Have you ever said something to someone hoping it was in confidence, maybe about someone else, maybe about a situation, and that person, because they trusted this other person, said that same thing to them, 
who said it to another person, who got to someone that that was not a good thing to get to and it got back to you as a source. Has that ever happened to you? Do you know the feeling in your stomach when, oh, I wish I hadn't said that and it hadn't gotten out like that? That's what's talked about here. He says, the birds will listen and carry it away. Does he really mean there are a bunch of parrots in the corners of your, of your house really listen? The birds here is metaphorical for the fact that gossip, slander, and talking, it gets out. Don't be foolishness. Be aware of the opportunity of foolishness. If you act foolish, the opportunity can overwhelm you and it can get out further than you want it to get out. So you put all this together and what is he saying? Most wisdom is doing what makes sense, common sense. God's word actually honors common sense. But a fool goes to the left and not the right. A fool goes to the wrong and not the right. A fool seeks self-exoneration, avoids self-discipline, and is controlled by his desires and by his fears. Take Ecclesiastes 10 and the whole book of Proverbs and boil it down to what, what is a fool, who is a fool. It's someone who's dominated by what they fear and what they desire. And it might not even be fear of you know, crashing a car. It's fear of missing something, fear of, of, of not having something or not getting something, not experiencing something, and desire for things that wouldn't honor God or be expedient in the moment. How do you fix it? You probably memorized it. Proverbs 1-7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Knowledge, wisdom, understanding, same idea, knowledge. Now listen, fools despise wisdom and instruction. Boy, Proverbs 1-7 is a, that, there's a life verse for you. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You know what I love about coming to Mission Road on a Sunday night? We don't have care groups like this. We have a pretty full church. It demonstrates a desire to be wise and to be, be instructed, be teachable. And the reason we gather is to align ourselves with the fear of the Lord. I want you to look over, though, with this to a, a verse that we all understand that is a it's really a, a co companion of Proverbs 1-7. Look at Proverbs chapter 9. We've looked at this so many times in Ecclesiastes, and I'm sure we'll come back to it again. This might be one of the most important single verses in your whole Bible in terms of collecting a lot of information and putting it into one little verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and here it is, and knowledge of the right way, doesn't say that. The wrong way, doesn't say that. Knowing how to live, doesn't say that. Doing better, trying harder, nope, doesn't say that. And the knowledge of what? Who? The Holy One. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Solomon would be quick to say in Ecclesiastes and in Proverbs, it's not just about knowing the right way and knowing the better way. It's knowing God himself who will define those for us. All of us, <laughs> this is hard to say, but I, I say this with Solomon's authority. All of us are born fools. 
Foolishness is bound up where? In the heart of a child. Doesn't say just those pagan, wicked children. We're born fools. Everyone. And that stamp of foolishness chases us like a shadow all the days of our lives. So the fight of faith is the fight for wisdom and not the default to being foolish. You say, well, how do I know? Fears, desires. Is that what controls us? Or is it the knowledge of the Holy One that controls us? Is this for young people? Yes. Is this for young men? You bet. Young women? Yes. Older men and older women? Absolutely. Because if we're not being active about killing foolishness and pursuing wisdom, our souls will default to being fools and foolish. Foolish. 